Genesis 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. That's a great verse. That when we walk with God, he blesses us in every area of our life. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, you can write this name down, Eliezer. Eliezer was the oldest servant in Abraham's house, and uh, he called him and uh, because Eliezer had ruled over all that Abraham had. He was in control and in charge of everything. And so in verse 2, it ends rather strangely. Abraham says to Eliezer, please put your hand under my thigh. Now that's awkward. What's going on here? This is an oath. They're sealing an oath. It's the handshake. It's the Old Testament handshake. Guys, are you not grateful for the fist bump these days, right? Hey, put your hand under my inner thigh if you don't mind. No, absolutely not. You want to buy a car? Put your hand under the thigh. No, good night. Wow. Okay. And so Abraham calls Eliezer to him. He says, put your hand under my thigh. Make an oath with me and I'll make you swear by the Lord that the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now, you remember Abraham's story. He moved from Ur of the Chaldeans. He's, about, he's over 400 miles, about 450 miles away from home. Um, and he's surrounded. This is the land God had promised Abraham and his descendants. It's Canaan. It's the holy land. And they're there, and they're surrounded by the Canaanite people. Now, these are un godly, evil people. And so Abraham calls Eliezer, and Abraham is well over 100. Sarah, Isaac's mama, has died. She died in chapter 23. They buried her, and, uh, and, and, and so Abraham is old, and, and Isaac is, is, is probably 40. He's over 37. He's between 37 and 40. Most commentators believe he's 40 years old, and so Abraham knows before I die, I got to find a wife. I got to find a wife for my son because of the promise. God promised descendants in this land. He brings Eliezer in and he said, listen, uh, I need you to go find a wife for Isaac, but you got to go back to my homeland because there's no one that's godly here. My son can't marry a Canaanite woman. And so find a woman from my own tribe, from my family. And so look look at verse 4. But you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac, The servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land uh, from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying of who spoke or or, uh, to your descendants, I give this land. I will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. He said, but don't take Isaac there because Isaac will be tempted to stay there. And the descendants were a promise, but this land is a promise. And so don't take him there. Leave him here. You just go there and get a wife. And then he says in in verse 8, But um, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Uh, Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him uh, concerning this matter. So then the servant took ten of Abraham, his master's camels, and departed. So, uh, so Eliezer 
gets, uh, gets a whole, I don't even know what a, a group of camels is called, a herd of camels. He gets 10 of them. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, we're going to find a wife, and she's probably got a lot of stuff, right? And so this is a moving caravan of camels that are going uh, because more than likely she's a lady. She's got shoes or something. And so we're going to take 10 camels. We're going to travel 450 miles. We're going to have some other guys with them. And, uh, and then they take out. And they take out to find a bride for Isaac. Look at verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, uh, the time when women go out to draw water. So that's the place that the ladies show up. And so he parked his camels there by the well, and he waited for the women. And he said, he began to pray in verse 12, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master." And it happened before he was finished praying, speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young women, or the young woman rather, was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her. Now, Eliezer, this is a beautiful one. Um, she looks right, and he, everything's right. She's got a pitcher of water, and so he takes off. He runs to meet her. And verse 17, it says that he said to her, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. Uh, then she quickly, quickly let her pitcher down uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, look, this is ten camels. This ain't filling a dog bowl full of water, right? Ten camels, they're thirsty. You heard about them humps, right? That's where they carry their water. Man. Twenty-five gallons of water to fill 10 camels. And so this lady, Rebecca, comes out, and she's beautiful. She's beautiful. And Eliezer's like, gosh, she's, she's, she's probably the one. And so she, he, he runs to her, and he gets her, and, uh, and, and, and she passes the test, right? She gives him water, says, let me, do the, let me, let me uh, water the camels. And so she begins watering all 10 of these camels. And watch what happens. It says, and when she had finished giving him a drink, that, uh, that I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew it for his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, two bracelets 
for her wrists weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethul, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Uh, moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough to room and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. God's answering prayers, one right after another. Pray, he's answering prayers before he's done praying them. He's praying for Rebecca, and Rebecca comes in the middle of his prayer. God is answering prayers, and when he does... Uh, Eliezer, you're going to notice this. Eliezer, in the middle of all of this, he will bow down and he will worship the Lord for those answered prayers. And he said in verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of his, my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led uh, me to the house of my master's brethren. And the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Now, you got to remember Laban. He's a scoundrel. Laban is that guy that we have in our life who's always in it for themselves. Laban is a used camel dealer. All right? He's that kind of guy. He's a shyster kind of guy. You can't trust anything he says. He's always in it for the gold. He wants what's best for Laban. And so in verse 29, we introduce Laban. Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when that he had saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he had heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man. Laban went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well and he said, come in. Look, look at all of this. You can have, come on in, O oh, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared a house and a place for the camels. Then the man came in the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat before I have told, I, until I have told about my errand. And he said, Laban said, speak on, tell us. What did you come for? So Eliezer said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. He has been given flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And you can imagine Laban is loving this. So you're, you've come, your servant is a squillionaire, right? And so that's what Laban's thinking. I'm going to make more money. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he was given uh, all that he has. And now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son, for my family, and for my father's house. You'll be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and I said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, uh, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when a virgin comes out to draw water, I will say to her, please give me a drink of water from your pitcher. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman that the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, now listen, he was praying, not out loud. God heard his prayer in his heart he said before I had finished speaking in my heart verse 45 there was Rebecca 
coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. She went down to the well to draw and drew water, and I said to her, please let me have a drink. And she made haste, and she let her pitcher down off her shoulder, and she said, drink, and I'll give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink. And I asked her, and I said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son from Milcah, bore to him. So I put a nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed my head, and I worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left. And Laban and Bethuel answered. <laughs> Laban answered. Laban ain't got a horse in the race, right? Laban's a brother. What's he doing with this? Laban answered in verse 50 with his father Bethuel. This thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Here's Rebekah before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Every time God answers prayer, Eliezer worships the Lord. Then the servant brought out jewelry and silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He brings out more stuff for her. He also gave precious things to her brother. All right, Laban's in now. He got him a little something. And to her mother, Mama gets something. And he and the men who were with him ate and they drank and they stayed all night and they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. But Laban and her Mama said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at the least 10. Why? They figured he got more in that bag, right? Why don't she stay a little bit longer? Maybe you'll give us more gold, more silver, more stuff. After that, she may go. In verse 56, it says, he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Uh, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, We'll call the young woman and ask her personally. Well, let's let Rebecca decide. Does she want to hang out for a little bit here, tell us bye, or is she ready to go? Look at verse 58. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I'm on my way. I will go. Let's go. I was ready last night. Let's go. What are we waiting for? Pack them camels up. Let's head out. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And Rebecca and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels, and they followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now look, before we get, we've read most of them already. We're over 60 verses right now. It didn't seem that bad, huh? Are you still with me? Raise your hand if you're still with me. Because it's going to get good right here, all right? And so right now, all you have is Eliezer dealing with Rebecca and her family. They've loaded up the camels, and they're heading back to Canaan, back to the promised land. And, and Eliezer has uh, succeeded in the, uh, what Abraham asked him to do, and he is bringing back Rebecca. Now, in, in your mind, I want you to go back to where Isaac is. Isaac has been waiting. Isaac has waited. I don't know how long it takes for a caravan of 10 camels and a handful of men to make it 450 miles. But for however long it took them to get there and to stay a day, 
to convince their family to send Rebekah with them. It took them that long to get back to Isaac. And for all of those days, Isaac stood and he waited. He prayed and he waited and he wondered, what's she going to look like? What's she going to be like? But he trusted, he trusted the process in place. He trusted his daddy. He trusted Abraham, that Abraham would find a wife, send Eliezer to find a wife that would fit him. Watch this. He trusted the Lord, and he prayed, and he believed. Now, I know this process is really odd to us and our culture in the day that we live in, but I want you to think about Isaac. Isaac, in this whole thing, this relationship is a relationship built upon faith in God. God is choosing a wife for him, and, and Isaac is trusting in who God is choosing. Now, now watch this. Verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. So Isaac was going out to pray. And he was praying for his future wife. He was going out to meditate and get alone with the Lord. It was in the cool of the day. The sun had gone down or was going down. And he looked. He lifted his eyes and he looked. And there the camels were coming. The day was ending. And the camels were coming down the road. And as Isaac looked, Rebecca looked. I mean, this is what movies are made of, right? Isaac looks, he sees the camels, he's looking on all the backs of those camels. Where is she, where is she, where is she, where is she? And she, he sees her. And then Rebecca looks. And in verse 64, she lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted off of her camel. For she had said to the servant, Eliezer, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, that's him. That's my master. That's the one that sent me for you. So she took a veil and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So think about this picture. Here's Rebecca. She's covered her face. She's standing beside a camel. She's seen Isaac. Isaac's seen her. Eliezer is telling Isaac all of the details that we just read in the first 61 verses. Everything that happened at Bethul's house. The well, the water, the camels, everything that Rebekah had done. He tells her, listen, you see that ring in her nose? Sir, I gave that to her from you. You see those bracelets on her wrist? Those, those are from you. I gave them to her from you. You see the gold jewelry, the silver jewelry? You see those clothes that she's wearing? All of that. She didn't have. I gave her those things from you. Look, look at this. Verse 67, then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Sarah had died nearly three years ago. Chapter 23 to chapter 24, Sarah died. And when 
Rebecca gets there, Isaac brings Rebecca into her, his mother's tent. You see, I don't know what, how Isaac dealt with grief, but I know that was a special place for him. Maybe he would go there and he felt close to his mom. Maybe he could see where his mom's clothes had hung. Maybe he could even, maybe every once in a while when the wind would kick up, he could catch a smell of his mom and remember his mom. Grief for Isaac was difficult those last three years. And so when he meets Rebecca, their first date, he takes her into the tent of his mom because his mom was special to him. And then it says, and she became his wife. And watch this. And he loved her. You know, there's guys who have ladies that become their wife and they don't love them. But he trusted the process. He trusted God and how he'd find a wife for him. And when God brought him Rebecca, he married her and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Church, I, I don't have a lot of time. I got to tell you a lot of stuff, okay? This, this chapter is full of stuff, and there's no way we're going to get to all of it. But I want you to see this chapter, three different facets, three sides. Um, it's 3D. So the first side I want you to see is the natural side of the story. You know, there's really not anything miraculous that happens in chapter 24. It's not like God doesn't show up and uh, do something that is miraculous. Uh, he answers prayer, but I, and that's miraculous, supernatural, but it's not a miracle. Now, that, that's things that happen in our life on a daily basis. God answers prayer. But what we're expecting in this story is that God's going to do something miraculous, but what he shows us is that it's not marked by a miracle, it's marked by the normal circumstances of life. This was the practice back then. Marriages were arranged. The process was trusted. The dad sent all out the servant, and the servant went and found the wife. The wife was brought back, and the hopes were in the process that the young man would not just marry her, but fall in love with her. And every, it could not have happened better but I do want you to notice something while it's normal there's something that is supernatural in this story and it's the providence of God that is woven through all of the details of this story now I've shared this with you before I want to share it with you again and I'm going to try to do it in a hurried fashion but um, my, my life is um, it, when I look back on the decisions of my life it's just natural. It's normal. It's walking with God, trusting God, praying to God, and believing him, and watching God and his supernatural providence work things out that you and I, that we could never orchestrate on our own. When I was 17, I was lost. I was at high school. It was my senior year. I had the easiest schedule known to man. I had English 4. Um, I didn't do too well with that when I passed it with a D-. minus. But listen, that's all right. And, uh, but, I, but I had art. I had art. It taught me how to draw, and I can to this day do little stick people. And um, I, I learned accounting, 
which has really come in handy. And uh, I was in, I was Miss Shaw's favorite novice teacher she ever had was a novice teacher. I was in drama. Um, I was, uh, I was in DECA. I, I did uh, marketing. Um, I, uh, I, I had a lot of fluffy classes my senior year. And so while my schedule was not all that uh, exciting, um, when, when my senior year happened, there was a group of people there my senior year I'd never seen before. And uh, it, it was the, the incoming freshmen. And uh, I'd never seen them before, never gone to school with them before. I mean, when I was a freshman, they were, man, I don't even want to talk about what they were. They were way down there, right? And uh, I'd never gone to school with them. And so four grades at the high school. And so I decided one day I knew who were kind of at my lunch shift. Uh, and uh, there was a set, an, another lunch shift. And I decided I was going to skip class and go to that other lunch shift because I wanted to see people. And, uh, I mean, you know, friends were... Strangers were just friends I hadn't met yet, so I wanted to go meet some friends. And so I was out there in that other lunch shift, skipping class, and I saw a girl that day, and I'm going to tell you what, she was beautiful. I'd never seen her before in my life. I knew her sister, going to school with her sister, but I'd never seen her before. And I've told this before, it was just like the light shone down from heaven, and the angels began to sing the Hallelujah Chorus when I saw her for the first time. And I felt like uh, Isaac was like, i, I, I got to have one of those, right? And so I, I gave her my number. She gave me her number, and we started dating. We, our first date was September the 4th, 1992, and uh, we started dating. And, and we started dating, I was lost, lost. I didn't grow up in church. I never heard my, uh, a prayer prayed in my, my home. I never heard a scripture read. I mean, we weren't even uh, good Baptists. We weren't even CEO Baptists. You know, just Christmas and Easter only Baptists. We didn't even go then. Um, we, we didn't go to church at all. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm dating this girl, and dating for, for, for this consisted of going to her house. We'd go out to eat. Sometimes we'd go to her house. We'd play cards. Uh, we'd spend time with her mom and dad. Um, and, and, and most of our dating was there with them. And I started noticing something about their family. They were different. They were like the Cleavers. I'm like Warden June Cleaver, right? I'm like stepping back in the time. They eat at the same time all around the table. And when the food hit the table, um, they, they prayed at the table. And I was like, boy, these people weird right and so I'm sitting there and I'm getting to know them and and uh and 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 this dad right this dad he was different than my dad right my dad would get mad and bangs the pop out his neck and and I never saw this guy raise his voice before and and uh my like this lady she didn't have to browbeat him to mow the yard I mean, it was just kind of different I was a dysfunctional family I walk into this the cleavers right I'm eating di- I'm eating dinner at the cleavers every night and 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 this guy man this guy he is they talked about Jesus they were so centrally focused on the church and everything about the church and and I was drawn to them they had a peace that I didn't have they they had something in them that I wanted and and uh so so that was September of 92 in November of 92 um I'm telling you what I gave my life to Jesus Christ I saw something in my girlfriend that I didn't have I saw something in her family I didn't have she was very instrumental in my faith journey walking with the Lord and growing in my relationship with him so, I don't know, it was a couple years later, um, her dad and her had come to the airport and picked me up. Um, I had uh, gone and helped a friend of mine in Marble Falls, Texas, do a disciple now. I had 18 sixth grade boys uh, for the weekend. Nine of them got saved in, the, in that weekend. I sat in a pew in Marble Falls, First Baptist Marble Falls, and I told God, I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I came home praying on that flight, and they picked me up at the airport, and I told them in the car ride. I was so scared to tell them. I said, I feel like God's calling me to ministry came home to church that next Sunday I walked down the aisle and I told my pastor I said I think God's calling me minister I don't know what that looks like I was the first person in my family to be saved I was definitely the first person in my family to be a pastor and um, 
And so, I, man, I, I, I surrendered to ministry. I went to ETBU. A couple years later, she came, met me at ETBU. Um, in, in 2000, we got married. And um, we had dated for seven years. We got married. And she, got, she married me the semester before she graduated. And so she graduated a spinny, which we were so proud. She was the only spinny that ever graduated college with honors. And uh, so we were really, really excited about that. We bragged on her to everybody. And, uh, and so, so, so we were married, and, and then she graduated, and she went into education. I went into ministry, and I served a couple of different churches, and uh, she taught uh, a couple of different schools. And, uh, and then in 2002, in January, God brought us back here to be at our home church. Now, um, and, um, that was in January of 2002, of, of and I became the youth pastor here. And in uh, December of 2002, we had our, our first son, Jeb. And, uh, man, we were so excited. You know, our new parents, we didn't know really what to do. We just feed him and keep him clean, that type of thing. And, and, uh, but we were, we were new at this, but we were excited. We had, you know, high school sweethearts, new parents, and a new ministry. And then, then God called me to be the pastor here that very next year. And, um, and, and then just a, a little bit after that, God gave us Jake. And, uh, and so now we've got two boys that we have to keep alive and uh, fed and healthy and clean and all of that stuff and and, uh, and and so God's just pouring his blessings out on us and then a few years after that Jude shows up and and so now we've been married 23 years this past January and uh, she's a principal at Halton Elementary I've been pastoring here for over 20 years and uh, we look at our boys and and Jeb is in college will finish next December and uh, hopefully head off to uh, follow his dreams, and he loves Jesus, and Jake's starting school uh, at Tech in, uh, this week, and, uh, and he loves Jesus, and uh, Jude, man, Jude is in the seventh grade, and he loves Jesus. All three of my boys are saved, and they love Jesus, and, and I look back over the, the, the past of my life, and I think, man, God, how could you do all of this? Do you know what it was? It wasn't miraculous, it wasn't a miracle. It wasn't like the sea parted. Um, I didn't hear God speak audibly at any time in the past 23 years or even prior to that when I surrendered to preach. God didn't speak to me out loud. It wasn't miraculous. It was just the normal circumstances of life partnered with the supernatural providence of God. And you know what all I had to do to get all of that is skip class. Y'all need to learn that. All you got to do, all you got to do is to reap all of that blessing is to skip. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, so this, this story is that. It is natural things. It's decisions. It's the natural everyday things of life where God works in supernatural ways to, uh, to fulfill his promise and to show his providence and his authority. Uh, but then there's the relational things. And I just want to be honest with you. It's going to get heavy in here for a minute, Okay. Uh, to talk about the relational aspect of this, we see dating. Um, we see a man honoring God and his relationship. We see Isaac worship God first and then seek to be married, not the other way around. Um, we see Isaac committing to marriage, uh, marrying a believer um, at, a, at a high cost. Uh, there were no ladies around there that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. They were Canaanites. They didn't love his God. Uh, and there's people in this room who have settled or about to settle or are in a relationship you shouldn't be in because you're in a relationship with a Canaanite. You're not willing to take a, 
a stand or to, to, to take the time to look for the one that God has for you, and you've settled to, to date a Canaanite. Isaac uh, was committed to marrying a believer, and even if it meant that he had to wait longer, even if it meant that he had to go further, 450 miles, 10 camels, um, he refuses to marry someone who didn't believe in the God that he believed in. He knew that making that decision would cause misery for the rest of his marriage. Isaac trusted his father to guide him. Now listen, teenager, there's some folks in this room, some young people in this room. You're going to get to that age where you're not going to trust your parents to guide you to the person that may be best for you because you don't believe them. You don't believe that you believe you know more than they do. And you're going you're gonna to allow your heart to run after someone that it doesn't need to run after. And your daddy and your mama's going to tell you they're not good for you. And you're not going to believe them. And you're going to make a poor choice. Isaac trusted. He trusted his father to guide him. Watch this. He, he, he actually trusts the Lord to provide for him. Some of you are here, you've been single for a long time. And, and you're ready to just go ahead and settle. Trust the Lord will provide the one that he wants you to spend the rest of your life with. Isaac waits and Isaac prays. Isaac marries a believer and he lives as a believer. Isaac loves everything about Rebecca. What's not to love? She was generous. Uh, she was hardworking. Uh, she was modest. Uh, she was beautiful and she loved Jesus, right? I mean, she was the total package. Now, contrast Isaac and Rebecca's dating with dating today. This, this is where things are going to get very uncomfortable. In fact, this is one of those times you're like, man, we really should have sent the little one to K-Motion. All right? It's not too late. <laughs> um, well, it is. We only have four minutes. All right. Um, dating today. Most of us in this room, um, you have only been alive to witness and see dating the way uh, this world sees it. And the oldest ones in this room, maybe who were, who were alive prior to the 60s when dating kind of changed and the sexual revolution kind of permeated our culture. And, and it started, this is the model that started out of that. Now listen, listen, you hook up with someone, you shack up with that someone, and you break up with that someone. And, and, and just like laundry, you repeat and rinse that until you find someone that you're willing to commit to for the long haul. Am I wrong? The culture that we live in is we give them every part of us physically, the part that is reserved for our spouse, the covenant marriage relationship. We give them, we hook up with them. In fact, we buy into what this culture says is like, you got to try people on. You don't know that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. And so you hook up, you shack up, and then you realize, you know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with them. And it's easier not to be married. We'll just live together. And so then all I got to do is move my junk. I don't have to go to an attorney. And so we just go through this model. That's the cultural model today that we live in. Now, here's the problem with that. Y'all aren't ready for this. I can tell. That model is culturally accepted. And oftentimes, this is the saddest part. It's parent approved. I'm talking about church parent approved. How can you and I help our kids, those of us who are still raising them, 
How can we help our kids to be healthy, to be in healthy dating relationships? There's two things. You've got to write this stuff down. I know you're looking at your clock. You've got to write this stuff down. Here's two things. You and I as parents can do these two things. We can set boundaries and we can build runways. Now, there's areas in in our parenting that we want to set boundaries and we can only build a runway. Now, what does that mean? Uh, A boundary is something that we can set and we can demand that those boundaries are kept. Um, But runways, while we want to make them boundaries, we can't demand that they be kept. Here, here, I'm going to let you in on a secret, parents. You ready? You don't get to pick who they fall in love with. You don't. You, you don't get to pick who they fall in love with. You can't set a boundary around who they date. Now, certainly, you, are you paying the bills? You, you can put your foot down. You can do all of those things. We can have a, a Montague uh, uh, Capulet type deal, Romeo and Juliet type deal where you put your foot down. And those, but, but listen, those, you need to build a runway in who they date rather than build a, a boundary around who they date. What do I mean by that? Golly, write this stuff down. This is so good. You need to pray now for their future spouse. That's a runway. Your, your children may be infant. You may have dropped them off at the nursery. When our boys were born, we began praying over them uh, about who they, would, who they would date and who they would marry. In fact, I, we started, we didn't know their names. We started praying for them that they would give their life to Jesus Christ. I remember praying over Jeb and Jake and Jude, asking God, God, I pray that you would save their future spouse. She may not even be born yet. God, I pray that you would save her, that you would surround her with mom and dad who would love you and point her to you. God, I pray, Father, that when they fall in love with each other, they are going to be on the same page. She won't be a Canaanite. You better start now praying for their future spouse. That's a runway. You better model now what love looks like. If you want that old boy, if you want your daughter to recognize what love and lust is, you better show her and model for her what love looks like. Because when she leaves your house and that old boy only wants what he can get from her, there will be a buzzer going off in her head. This isn't love. Daddy's modeled love for me. This isn't Love isn't about what you can give somebody. Love is about what they give you. It's offering. It, it, it is sharing in a relationship. I hope hope you're paying attention. Speak now about qualities to look for. Don't don't speak it later when they're dating somebody you don't want them to date and you've never talked about. In fact, write this one down. Stop avoiding difficult conversations with your kids. If you are expecting the school to tell them about sex, bro, bro, it, it, if they're going to educate our kids about sex and you're not going to talk to them about the godly uh, responsibility of being a godly parent and the biblical standards for a, a, a dating relationship and sex, then, then, then get ready to have the consequences of having someone else raise your children. Get, get ready for allowing your children to do whatever they want, because that's what this culture, that's what this, this world will tell them. So, so those are runways. We, we build a runway. Um, we pray now. We model now. We speak now. And we stop avoiding uh, difficult conversations. But, but here's the deal. What, what are some boundaries that we can set up? 
because there are boundaries that we set up uh, to help our children have healthy dating relationships. How do they date? How do they date? What's acceptable? Can, can I tell you this? My mom and dad didn't love Jesus, but they weren't stupid. They made decisions that weren't based on spiritual uh, conviction that they had, but they made decisions based upon common sense. My mom and dad weren't spiritual, but they certainly weren't stupid. Can I, can I tell you this? My wife, prior to us getting married, I can count on one hand, maybe two, that I saw the inside of her bedroom and she saw the inside of mine. You want to know Why? We sat in chairs. We didn't lay in beds with each other. The absolute worst thing that you and I can do as parents is not set a boundary up. I walked into my wife's bedroom every year, once a year, to see what she got for Christmas. It was laid out on her uh, bed. That's the only time I walked in there. We, we didn't go in there to watch TV. We certainly didn't get under the covers. Because do you want to know there's two things that happen in bed? Do I need to tell you those two? Sleeping and sex are the only things that happen in bed. And why in the world would we allow our children to lay in bed with someone they're not married with? These are boundaries we set up. It's our responsibility. Are we going to allow our, this world to raise our children? Or are we going to set up standards, boundaries? Uh, set a curfew. Let them come home late and not early, right? Late at night, not early in the morning. Know where they are, who they're with. Don't be naive. I've made this statement before. You and I can raise our children and spoil our grandchildren, or we can spoil our children and raise our grandchildren. While our kids are trying to go get an education because we didn't set up a boundary for them. The model, the problem, the fruit of that model. I want you to write this down. I know I'm, telling, I'm running out of time. I want you to write this down. The fruit of that model that this culture has on dating. Hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. Here's the fruit. This is what it grows. Young people are entering into lifelong covenant relationships. They are broken, carrying baggage, and nursing emotional wounds that, they will, that will hinder their intimacy the rest of their lives. I feel like I'm preaching this to myself. If you and I as Christian parents who love Jesus will not set up boundaries, the fruit of that is that we will raise up young people who one day stand with, uh, before God and before you and the rest of their family, and they will enter into a lifelong covenant relationship with their spouse, and they will enter that relationship broken, carrying baggage, and nursing emotional wounds that will hinder the intimacy with their spouse the rest of their lives. It's our responsibility. What's the solution? We're to help our children to pursue purity in every relationship. Look, look can, can we set up boundaries and they walk over them? Absolutely. More can happen in the backseat of a car than ever happened in a bedroom when you've been in the same house. We can set up boundaries, but, but watch this. When we teach them how to pursue purity, it changes everything. We teach them what it's good to look at, what's honorable to say, what's honorable to do, and we teach them to, to the Holy Spirit's living in you, allow him to lead you, because God's got a, a plan for you for the rest of your life, and more than likely, this person that you're with will not be the one you'll spend the rest of your life with. 
I told you it's going to get heavy. There's a natural side of this story. That's the first facet. There's this relational side of the story. That's the second one. Now, here's the third. It's a spiritual, and I shared this with you last week. Just briefly, let me go back over it. Abraham is the father that sent his servant to seek out a bride for his son. Abraham, for us in this story, is a picture of God who sends out his Holy Spirit to seek out a bride for his son, Jesus. He is the one who goes seeking and wooing and gifting. Watch what he does. The uh, Eliezer is a picture to us of the Holy Spirit. When he finds Rebecca, what does he do? He, he, puts, he puts rings on her, bracelets on her. He literally is saying to her, I know you've never seen Isaac, but Isaac loves you. This is not for me. This is from Isaac. You're going to love Isaac when you see him. You're going to fall in love with him. This is just a token of that he gets to his ha- her house. And, and, and when they say, yes, she can go, what does he do? He, he throws more gifts at her. And he says, listen, this isn't for me. This is from Isaac. I know you've never seen him. You haven't met him yet. But he wanted me to give you this because he loves you so much. And he wants to spend the rest of his life with you. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He comes pursuing us, wooing us, and gifting us. He says, I know you've never seen Jesus. But he wants you to have this because he loves you. I know you've never laid eyes on him, but he wants you to have this because he wants to spend all of eternity with you. He loves you so much. This gift is not from me. It's from him. And Isaac is a picture of the Lord Jesus who's waiting, waiting for the father to say, go get your bride, who's sitting and waiting in heaven, waiting for the day that he will stand before his father at the marriage supper of the Lamb, And the bride of Christ will be brought to him. Who's the bride of Christ? It is us. Because he loves us, he's given himself for us, and he wants to spend all of eternity with us. This story is a spiritual picture of what Christ has done for us, in us, and wants to do through us. All right, church, here's the deal. What do we do with this? I tell you what, if you're a parent, you you may feel like you've already blown it. You may feel like, man, I, I have not done well. Maybe your kids are raised. Maybe you're looking at that and you think, man, I have not done well. Here, let me show you this. There's grace. God gives grace in our blunders. We don't make all the right decisions, right? If you're in the midst of raising your kids, it's not too late. It's not too late to set up boundaries. It's not even too late to build runways. Start praying now for future spouses. If your kids are in the nursery, my goodness, start now. If you're dating, start now. You start now praying for God to give you that family, give you a spouse, give you the one that he wants you to have. We build boundaries and we build runways. Listen to this. A lot of us in this room, maybe you've done well at this, maybe you haven't. Regardless of that, God's teaching us and molding us. and He wants us to apply that into our life. But the greatest decision in this story is that the spiritual. God loves you so much, he sent Jesus here to die for you, to die in your place so that he can save you and so that Jesus can spend all of eternity with you. If you've never trusted him, he is wooing you. He pursues us, he draws us, he calls us to himself. That may be happening right now in your heart, in your life. If it is, in just a few moments, we're going to stand together and give you an opportunity to respond to him. Let's, Let's pray together before we do that. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Father, for your word, even when it goes against our culture. 
God, even when it's difficult for us to hear, even when it's sensitive for us, even when it's topics we don't want to talk about, God, I pray, Father, that you would pierce your word in our heart just like we prayed at the beginning of this service. God, that you'd convict us as parents. You'd convict us as people and how we're living our life and the decisions that we're making. God, I pray, Father, that we would honor you with our life. And God, I pray in this room, if there's someone who doesn't know you, maybe it's a, an adult, God, I pray that as you're drawing them by your Holy Spirit, that today would be the day they'd surrender their life to King Jesus. God, maybe it's a young person. God, I pray the same. As you're drawing them this morning, God, that today would be the day that they would say yes to following Jesus. God, you have grace to cover all of our blunders. And God, I pray that you would pour your grace out on us. God, we love you and we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.